Today's swap number is 450. That's the number of cases that the Project Lift team has worked over the last year. With the holiday season approaching, we know that stress levels, both at home and on the road, tend to increase this time of year. So today, we are talking to SWAPA Project Lift Committee Chair, Chess Fulton, and Chair of the HIMSS Program, Tom Stanley. SWAPA 327, runway 28, clear for takeoff, wind 030 at 5. Clear for takeoff, 28, next, SWAPA 327, rolling out. I'm Amy Robinson. And I'm Dan Mosher. And here's our interview with Tom and Chess. So, Tom, can you tell us about the HIMSS program and how you got involved with it? The short answer is uh, I got involved with uh, the HIMSS program because I drank too much over a long period of time. And I never thought that I'd actually be sitting here doing a podcast about uh, my own alcoholism. When I came to Southwest, I actually was a drinker and uh, got sober while I was here. Specifically, that brought me into kind of the hymns world. And as a process of that, I got involved in the Baltimore base where I was at the time and got to know the base staff there. So the monitor, every base has a monitor and I got to know the Baltimore monitor pretty well. And every year I would seek him out when I had my anniversary and I'd show him my chip, uh, which is a marker of how long we've been sober and he would say, congratulations, and, and talk to me a little bit about it. And the fifth anniversary that I did that, I found him. He said, hey, let's go talk to the chief pilot. And I said, what did I do? He said, well, let's go talk to the chief. And we walked into the chief's office. It was Dave Fitzgerald, as it is now. He said, hey, Dave, I've been doing this job for way too long. Uh, I'm tired of it. Tom's your new monitor. And that was how I found myself in the structure of the HIMSS program. All of a sudden, I was the Baltimore monitor. I worked there for about five more years. And in the course of doing that, I knew some of the folks here at the SWAPA executive offices. And uh, over the course of time, I, I was asked to interview here and to become the HIMSS chairman. Now that program, the actual HIMSS process is a way for addicted pilots to return to the cockpit through the special issuance process with the FAA. It's a joint process. It's run with the union, the company, and uh, medical professionals, including FAA certification. So, so you specifically go to get pilots into treatment when, when the, and, and how, do, how do you get referred to pilots who need treatment? Generally, there's several referral methods. Uh, we get phone calls directly from pilots. They'll, they'll call in and, and with a variety of, you know, I might have a problem, I do have a problem, and we will talk to them. We can offer substance abuse evaluations for folks that are questioning whether they actually have an issue with uh, alcohol or drugs. Some folks call in because they have DUIs or legal issues that involve drugs or alcohol, and we will counsel them and, and take them through the correct reporting process. We also get cross referrals because here in, at SWAPA, there's obviously the Lyft committee, uh, which is more mental health oriented, but folks will call call there and uh, Chess and his committee will refer over and say, hey, I think there might be a reason for you to call this person. Sometimes we get calls from the company. They're pretty good about trying to keep things at as low a level as possible. And they'll actually give us a chance to talk to the pilot first and see if there's an issue that we can help with. So when should a pilot call you and what can they expect from the call? 
I would always tell somebody that if they have a piece of paper from the FAA that has the words drugs or alcohol on it, they receive a call from their chief pilot that asks them about their drug or alcohol use, that's a great time to pick up the phone and give us a call. If a person finds themselves using drugs or alcohol and kind of has this little voice inside questioning if this maybe has gotten to a point that is a little bit too big or they don't understand what a problem looks like, that's a good time to call. And there are folks that actually know. Um, there, there are folks that, that will call me and say, hey, I've been doing this for too long. I've tried to stop on my own and I can't. And it's time. I need help. Any of those times is a great time to pick up the phone because we don't automatically go, hey, great, thanks for calling. Let's send you to rehab. We actually talk to you and find out all of the, the issues that are going on in your life and where we need to go with that. Um, the one thing I will say about all of our contact, all of our calls are completely confidential. And I don't even talk about those to other people in the committee until we get to a point where I'll get to a point with a pilot and they'll say, I have a problem and I need help. At that point, when we have to formalize the process, because they'll have to go to rehab, they'll, there'll be medical certification issues, they'll have to come off the line, things that we have to work with the company on, there will actually be a point in that conversation where I will be, become very, very clear and say, at this point, this is where the information will go. And then kind of the, the, where that goes is over to my counterpart at the company, which is Captain Jason Pettit, who's the HIMSS manager. And we work together to get the pilot offline, use the company medical benefit to place them into treatment, and then start the certification process with the FAA. So is, is it always voluntary or can a pilot be forced into the HIMSS program? My passion is to make sure that every person that asks for help within the HIMSS process actually has a problem. Now, I'm not a professional, so there are some cases where we have pilots that are actually questioning. That's where we'll send them to avals with substance abuse professionals. What I cannot do is take a pilot who I know is telling me they want to enter the HIMSS process because they think that's going to temper a discipline or a legal issue. And they say, well, I'm just going to go through the motions. That's, that's a process that we actually have to actively sort of discourage. What we'll do is, in that case, we'll send them to the professionals to make the, the determination. Now, that being said, there are some issues where pilots consider themselves to be forced into the system because addiction is the only medical problem that I know of that is actually in the combined federal regulation. There's a part of the CFR that talks specifically about what addiction is. And pilots can find themselves in that part of the CFR if they get a DUI or have some kind of an evaluation that shows up in their medical records from the past or the present that says that they have either an alcohol or drug abuse problem or dependency. And when they find themselves in those situations, particularly DUIs is where we find this, a really, really bad DUI, the FAA has kind of a table that they go through. And that's when we ask pilots to call us and we'll take them through the regulation and talk about where they are in that, what the FAA is going to require, and kind of the evaluation process that they'll go through. There are some documented issues with alcohols, such as multiple DUIs or charges from the past that can lead a pilot to a place where we're not going to force them to go to treatment. That word is, 
is uh, something I fight. Uh, all pilots ask to go to treatment, but there will there will come a point where the pilot will be faced with you cannot receive medical certification without going through certain steps. And some of those may require them to seek treatment. So you kind of said, uh, you talked about the the idea of somebody sort of being, uh, feeling like they were forced into, into participating in the program. But have you seen instances where um, anybody wants to use it after being faced with discipline or failed a drug or alcohol test and, and sort of um, just kind of as a get out of jail free card or a way to sort of circumvent that? So the answer is yes, that there are times in that process where a person might say to themselves, hey, uh, maybe if I tell the company I'm an alcoholic, this will all go away. In reality, the company is very, very good about sending pilots to treatment. There are terminable events that we can't get around currently in the, in the drug and alcohol policy. If you fail a drug or alcohol test online in uniform, that is a terminable event. So the company currently will send you to treatment. And then when you come back from that treatment, they will have a disciplinary process. And the result of that under the drug and alcohol policy is termination. So you don't get a second chance? Uh, currently, no. And that is one of the jobs that I have right now. We are actively negotiating with the company in the current negotiating cycle to change that policy. We are the last major airline that currently has that policy. And I work at the national level through ALPA and all the other HIMSS chairs. And the current push is to create that, that second chance. Now realize this is a very, very small number of pilots. We're talking on the order of, of one a year, maybe one every 18 months. But the idea that drinking costs you your job creates an issue with all the pilots thinking that they're going to lose their job if they call me and say they have an alcohol problem, which is not true. There is regulatory relief for the company in that there is no uh, third chance as far as DOT goes. If you fail two DOT drug tests in your career, regulation-wise, you can never be recertified. One, you can be. So we're currently actively negotiating in Section 6, and that's part of my job as the uh, kind of subject matter expert to the negotiating committee. We're putting language into the new contract and we're working every day with the company to say there is a valid reason to allow these pilots to have a second chance. And I have many, many examples of pilots that at first blush, when you look at their case, you're like, this is hopeless. And then what I say is I always get to watch the miracle happen. I watch them recover. I watch them become grateful employees, productive employees and come back to the line and serve the airline for a very fruitful career. So even if a pilot has a, a relapse, Tom, can they return to fly or do they just get one shot at success with the HIMSS program? Southwest Airlines is a multiple relapse airline. So what that means is it's always a scary time because you're in recovery and then you find yourself out of, out of sobriety or recovery. And it's, it's very, very hard for the individual pilot but their employment is never, ever in jeopardy. The way that works is what we want them to do is to call us and talk to us. We work through their medical professionals, their AME. A plan is created. Sometimes that involves going back to rehab. Sometimes it doesn't. It, it depends on each individual case. But during that entire process, 
we as the HIMS team, which actually includes Southwest Airlines, are in the process and employment is never a question. You've talked a lot about the employee calling you or saying they have a problem. Can a family member call if they're concerned about their spouse or or their child or anything of that nature? Absolutely. We've had family members call. I've had pilots call me about their children. And we use the contacts and the resources that we have to help find solutions for their family member, just like we would for the pilot. I've even recently had some pilots call me with friends who are, say, flight instructors or working for smaller companies that don't have formalized HIMSS programs. And we have the ability through the relationships that we develop to help those individual pilots work the HIMSS process and possibly one day come here as employees. But I'll work with anybody that has a problem. How many pilots have gone through the program and returned to the line, Tom? So we do not have 50 years of records, but what I can tell you is that historically there were between 10 and 20 pilots a year that would would enter treatment and go through the process. So given that, the number over time could be, you know, 500 to 1,000, depending on past performance. I can tell you that in the last three years, when the records have become a little bit more available, we currently have about 150 pilots actively in the HIMSS monitoring process. And we talk to many, many more than that who call us for advice or, you know, the early stages of recovery. So is anyone ever sort of released from HIMSS or is it sort of a a permanent commitment? So in the past, a pilot would at, at a certain point, and that time has changed. It used to be three years, then it went to five years. They would receive a letter that was considered release. What that was, was release from formal monitoring. The last sentence in that letter always said, don't ever use drugs or alcohol again in some form. The, the verbiage has changed, but that's what, that's what the letter said. The FAA in the last two years has formalized the special issuance process for addiction. And now the term lifelong has been thrown out there, but it's, it's really the same as if you had any other medical problem. Anybody that has a heart attack or anything that requires you to get a special issuance has a set of things that they have to do to maintain their medical. The HIMSS process is the same. It's kind of a like a tapered process. It starts at the beginning of sobriety with a, a lot of requirements, and it moves through how long you've been sober to the point where at about seven years, the only requirement that is lifelong is that you get your medical from a HIMSS-trained AME. So it sounds like there isn't a, a perfect plan for a pilot on their path to sobriety, that each individual pilot is handled as an individual and there's a structure to it, but does each individual pilot um, have a different path to take to get through the program to sobriety? Yes. Every case is different. Some of them on the surface may look the same, but each individual pilot comes comes at this from a different perspective, a different family, a different background, a different drug of choice. All of those things are taken into account when we begin the initial counseling with a pilot. As that happens, we develop a plan. We actually have multiple facilities within our, say, portfolio of where we recommend pilots to go. And we tailor where we recommend they go, what doctors they see based to their individual circumstances. And I think the final question that I have for you is, 
obviously the holiday season is probably, I'm assuming a little bit of an uptick in calls for you. Is that, is that generally the case or is that misnomer or do you you see more over the holidays? We actually do. Sometimes we call it membership season because really the time from about November, Thanksgiving-ish through the holiday, uh, New Year's usually, is when we will normally see an uptick. In the last two years, it's been bigger because there are other pressures out there. We have the COVID environment. Lately, there's company issues with vaccine mandate. All of these things are cumulative, so they kind of pile on. And then we get to a season where people like to blow off steam. We all wind up in Times Square watching the ball drop and everybody's celebrating and having parties. And for someone that actually has a problem with drugs or alcohol, this is a time when they feel emboldened because their behavior now is is more in line with what the rest of society is doing. So they'll act out a little bit. Uh, this is also a time when a lot of people have problems with the holidays. So th- the fact that we're coming up on Christmas and New Year's, people will reflect. Uh, there's family things that happen. And so, we, yeah, we get a lot more calls in this time frame. What would you say to any pilot who who is thinking about calling you or a family member who's thinking about calling you about their pilot? What would you what would you sort of tell them? The first thing I would say is pick up the phone in recovery we say that the phone can weigh 5,000 pounds because it's very, very hard to pick it up, dial the phone. It's, a, it's an act that you've been waiting a long time. You put a lot of emphasis on it. But really, when you call us, particularly the phone rings to me, so you're going to talk to me. When that call happens, we're going to have a conversation. And the conversation doesn't have to have a solution right then. So when you call, we're not going to make a life choice in the first five minutes of talking to you. We're going to listen to what's going on, and we're going to come to a mutually agreeable place, which may mean that we're starting a process that involves treatment. I have pilots that have called me that have actually gone other routes to to Alcoholics Anonymous and gone to meetings or family members. Sometimes family members want to call and just vent, and we will talk about you know, what does this disease look like? How does it manifest itself? How do, you know, we'll use our personal experiences to talk to them. And so what I would say is, if you have a question, if you have gone through your life and someone has come to you and said, you know what, I think you drink too much, or I've seen you using drugs and I don't like it. Or perhaps, you know, what happened to me in my family where my family said, um, we're not liking what we're seeing. If those kinds of things have happened, it's definitely a time to seek help. And that help may go somewhere, it may not, but we can connect you with the right people that will be able to talk to you within a way that will keep your medical certification. And our goal is always to return the pilot to the line. That's what, that's what we do. And we want to do that in the safest way possible. So we'll help you find help. We'll let you know that you're not alone. And that process can start a better life. You won't be, you won't have that little voice in your head anymore. Chess, tell us how you got involved in um, Project Lift. So I came to the uh, CISM program, uh, I guess about 10 years ago now. Um, I was asked by uh, the chiefs in Dallas if I would like to interview uh, 
for one of those committees. They thought I would be good. And I said, yeah, I think it sounds like a worthy endeavor. So they forwarded my name. And uh, some 10 years ago, I was hired onto the SISM team. And uh, from the SISM team, Project Lyft grew. And we, we have talked to you in the past about Lyft, but can you give us a, a summary of what Lyft is for our new listeners or um, how, how it works for our pilots? Yeah, sure. Uh, just simply, our goal is uh, to provide a safe and confidential place to talk about any issues that may be negatively impacting your wellness, your family, or your job. First and foremost, confidentiality is the cornerstone of our program. You know, we're just, uh, we are a pilot peer to peer resource that we want you to feel comfortable talking to that can provide uh, insight, information on really almost any concern that a member may have. And, uh, you know, we've dealt with a lot of different issues, right? All the big ones suicide, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, marital problems. And that's just the kind of the tip of the iceberg. And we just, we're just there when a member needs someone to talk to that has the, uh, the knowledge resources to help you get through whatever issue. And, you know, we kind of know the impact of the different courses of action in regards to your career. So can you give us an idea, Chess, of uh, some of the more difficult cases you've encountered, uh, maybe what you learned from handling them and how that will make Lyft an even better service to pilots in the future? Yeah, you know, it's uh, in keeping with our foundation stone of confidentiality. I can't really go into specific cases, but suffice to say that we've dealt with you know, all those issues I kind of outlined before, you know, uh, it's difficult when you pick up a phone and somebody's talking about uh, suicidal ideation or they're talking about uh, depression or depression in their children. It's a daunting uh, conversation, but we're just there to help uh, with a with a helping conversation. Make sure that, uh, you know, the person on the other end of the phone that we're talking with uh, knows that we're there for them. We've got resources and we're going to help them walk down this path as we try to figure out uh, how to approach the the situation and making Lyft a better service. You know, with each situation our team encounters, it, it ultimately increases our knowledge base and experience. So we can kind of fill our clue bag with the best practices or, or course of action to pursue as you work through whatever you may be facing. And I kind of sum it up to folks by saying, we know a lot about a lot. I think one thing that people don't always necessarily know is that you also have resources that are outside if, if needed, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, the strengths of the program is, you know, we have resources that have dealt with pilots before they're, they're aviation savvy. So if we were to refer you to, let's say, a mental health professional, then uh, that mental health professional has worked with uh, pilots in the past and they know that we're a, a different segment of the population because we hold a, a medical certificate from the FAA. And without that medical certificate, uh, you know, we won't have a job. So we make sure that our resources know that, you know, there are implications to certain diagnoses, which is fine. Whatever the diagnosis is, we're going to work through the issue. But our mental health professionals know that, hey, if you say depression, well, now there's a bigger issue that we're going to have to work through as we get this pilot back to a place of wellness and then back to uh, flying. So you mentioned uh, depression as just one example of um, something that you can help pilots with. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the FAA actually allowing some 
classes of um, of medications that that help with depression. How has that made your job maybe a little bit easier, or just made it a little bit less daunting to pilots who are dealing with that particular issue to give you a call? Yeah, you know, if you're dealing with depression, there are challenges ahead of you. But uh, luckily now, uh, depression is not the big bad word that it was to the FAA some 15, 20 years ago. You know, you say depression to the FAA now, and there's actually a course of, a, of uh, action that you can take to get back to the cockpit. You know, 15, 20 years ago, you said depression, and quite honestly, you were done flying. But uh, now with the different medications out there, the SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, there are four different SSRIs that you can uh, take as a pilot under the uh, supervision of a, a medical professional. You're going to work through the SSRI protocol, which kind of follows along the HIMSS uh, program. You're going to be seen by a HIMSS AME who kind of knows the, the HIMSS process, the documentation required. And then you're going to simply work through that process. And that's usually somewhere between... Uh, in a perfect case, it'd be six months and uh, uh, typically right around a year after uh, seeking that type of treatment, pilots can expect to uh, get their medical back and come back to fly. So we kind of talked about this with uh, Tom Stanley, but um, is it all, do you also have an uptick in calls over the holiday seasons? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, uh, the most wonderful time of the year, right? Well, it's also the most stressful. So uh, we as pilots and our, our families have a lot of stressors that we deal with all the time. Operational issues, time away from family, uh, you know, our medical certificate, uh, the vaccine mandate. And now you throw in the stressors that come with the holidays, uh, like, you know, there's just more events uh, or visiting family or maybe a lack of friends or family, missing loved ones you lost, all those types of things. And there may be be financial stress, trying to find that perfect gift and you know how much you're going to spend. Or maybe you feel the pressure to have a, a perfect Christmas for your children. That's, that's out there. And time, that's a big one. You know, we even have Christmas off. We'd be gone for that holiday party that maybe you wanted to go to. So we definitely see an uptick in calls. And if I could just do a public service announcement, I'd give the message right now to our pilots to just guard against that stress by taking control where you can. So first, uh, think about uh, maybe what you want to experience uh, or feel about the holiday, and then make a list of how you can do that. Uh, the point is you probably know what is most important to you about the holiday season. So just take the time to figure it out and, and turn that thing that's most important to you into a reality. So Chess, are there... Project Lift volunteers available 24-7, even on Christmas or Thanksgiving Day. And um, you know, what if a pilot doesn't want to burden you with his or her issue, especially you know, on one of those holidays? Oh, absolutely. Uh, 24-7, 365. You can call the hotline and talk to somebody on Christmas or any other day. You know, we may not be able to instantly solve your problem, but we can be that listening ear when you're going through a difficult season of life. And sometimes that's just exactly what somebody needs, just a sounding board to share with. You kind of coalesce your thoughts and, and uh, point you in the right direction. And, and we can provide resources. Now, if a pilot is uh, hesitant to share his concern, we can always provide further resources to that aviation-knowledgeable mental health professional or, or whomever. And callers can always remain anonymous. 
but I, I don't want any pilot to feel like uh, they're going to be burdening any of our team members if they call on, on Christmas. That's what we're there for. And we are kind of developing into a, a, a triage type helpline where, you know, if you have questions about something going on in your life that may affect you or your family's wellness, uh, we just want you to know you have a safe, confidential place to call and get information and resources to help. Casey Murray kind of summed it up very well. And he says, if your daughter falls off a bike and skins her knee, I want the first place our pilots think to call is the lift hotline. So, you know, we are here for our pilots and our families 24 7, 365. We want to thank Jess and Tom for speaking with us today. With the holiday season approaching, the invaluable services they provide can be a lifeline to a pilot and their family in need. Before we go, as always, we'd like to hear from you, so please drop us a line at com at swapa.org. Finally, today's bonus number is 301-535-9871. That's a different one, but that's the number a pilot or concerned family member can call 24-7, 365 days a year to get help from the HEMS program. An added bonus number is 855-737-LIFT. That's for Project Lift, and again, they are 24-7, 365 days a year. Never forget that help is just a phone call away, and the person who answers your call has the access to all of the resources you need as a pilot. Southwest 23, 23, clear to land. Thank you, Southwest 1223, clear to land.